In Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Another uprising will come against King David in 2 Samuel 20, and he's going to have to deal with it. And it is the reverberation of his own sin. Instability is a consequence of human sinfulness. How can we make things solid again? How can we improve relationships? How can we clean things up after a fall? We need to get right with God and do things His way. We'll explore that more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. The nation that God loved spent much of its history reverberating in the aftershocks of bad decisions. That's the nation of Israel. In the book of Isaiah, it says these words. This is 33, Isaiah 33, 2 through 6. It says, O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be thou their strength every morning, our salvation also in the time of distress. At the sound of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of thyself, nations dispense. And your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts rushing about, men rush about on it. The Lord is exalted, he dwells on high, he has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. He shall be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It says of the Messiah, he will be the stability of your times. Do you want to have a stable life? Everybody would answer that question, yes. What's truly stable? God. What kingdom can we serve that's an unshakable kingdom? The book of Hebrews says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we serve a kingdom and a king that cannot be shaken because nothing ever shakes him up. Praise God. And we can live that kind of life if we anchor ourselves in the one who is unshakable. David, a little later, as we do a little intro, he writes, uh, this is actually uh, the same as Psalm 18. Go to uh, 2 Samuel 22. And David is praising God just a couple chapters ahead. And here's what he says. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 2 Samuel 22, 3. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, thou dost save me from violence. Now, David was a tough man, but I want you to see how he describes God. He says, the Lord is my rock. He's my stability. He's my hiding place. That's the idea of a fortress. He's my deliverer, my salvation. He's my stability, verse three, my rock. He's my refuge, my shield, my protection, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge. He is everything to me. And that's what you and I have to learn, that Jesus Christ becomes everything to us. Even though I am absent in body, Paul writes to the Colossian church, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. 
As I've been watching the things uh, about the Middle East and every president in my lifetime has tried to bring peace to the Middle East, they've been saying that there are things that will destabilize a region. So when our government or when we're looking at military options, we wonder about doing something that may bring destabilization to a region. And that is how kind of we have to make decisions about our lives. We want to make decisions about our lives, our family, our relationships, what we do with our finances that will bring stability, not destabilize. And what destabilized David's kingdom is simply captured in one word. It's sin. Sin destabilizes your life. Sin will cause aftershocks in your life. That's why the Bible encourages you and me to let the fear of the Lord determine our decisions. But we're human, right? (laughs) And even after becoming a Christian, we fall short of the glory of God. We make our share of mistakes. David went through that, and when he went through that, I want you to turn to Psalm 13. He would would cry out to God, Psalm 13, a little bit to your right. And here's a psalm. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but this captures David's heart in a time of difficulty, and it will lead us nicely into the chapter. This is what David did when things seemed unstable in his life. Psalm 13, verse 1. He said, how long, O Lord, will thou forget me forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Psalm 13, 2. Having sorrow in my heart all the day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me, says the NIV? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, verse 3, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am, notice, shaken. But I have trusted in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Turn back to 2 Samuel. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think actually it's a a refreshing thing to be real even before the Lord when you're going through something difficult. When life is throwing you some curveballs, you can say, because David said it, Lord, where are you? (laughs) Have you forgotten about me? Ever prayed a prayer like that? Lord, are you hearing what I'm praying? Well, as David went through his stuff in life, that's how he felt. And in 2 Samuel chapter 20, as we pick up the account in verse 1, we are reminded of this man named Sheba. He is described as a worthless fellow, 2 Samuel 20, verse 1. Literally, a man of Belial. He happened to be there whose name was Sheba. He was the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. That made him probably side with the house of Saul, 2 Samuel 20, verse 1. And he blew the trumpet, he blew the shofar, and he said, we have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. And so all the men of Israel, verse 2, withdrew from following David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king from the Jordan, even to Jerusalem. One of the things that brings instability to our lives is when people bail on us. 
When you're in a high position like a king, as David was, he was hoping that he could unite the nation. His prayer was that he could bring the people together. And Warren Wiersbe put it well when he said, sometimes it's just the speech of one person that can lead a bunch of people away from you. You've probably all experienced it before. You think things are going good, relationships are going well, and then one person says something about you at work or in your group of friends, and all of a sudden a bunch of people have bailed from you and you don't even know why. People can be won over by even a decent speech. And here's why. Because a lot of people don't even know what they believe and why they go to follow someone that they follow. A lot of people just follow the latest fad because they are not anchored to the rock. And so they blow with the wind. Is that you? Is the the latest teaching, the latest fad, You blow over here and then you blow over there. And what it brings is instability. And David was looking at his kingdom and saying, no, this, please let this not happen again. Once again, he was leading a nation that was divided. You know, sometimes when we pray for our leaders, I think we need to be able to put ourselves in their moccasins for a second and think about whatever, wherever you may be politically, think about How many shots a person at the top takes a day? Think about how many negative articles are written about people, how much press you have to ignore if you're in that kind of situation. It's not an easy position to be in. And that's what David, that's where he was. He was taking pot shots. And this this man, this He's, the Bible calls him a worthless man, stirred the people again. Right when David finally was thinking, hey, I'm going to be back on my throne. I'm going home. Finally, Absalom's rebellion and uprising has been dealt with. David's getting ready to, to go back home, to go to his throne, to go back to the place that he loved. He probably was wondering if I, I'm ever going to be back there. And just when you think trouble is over, trouble <laughs> comes again. Ever been there before? You go on vacation. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And you have all these issues on vacation, and then you say, I can't wait till I get back home. I need a vacation from my vacation. Vacations always sound good until you're on vacation. Then you're like, I want to go home. Well, this man, Sheba, said, We have no inheritance strong idea there because the people of God were God's inheritance and the land was an inheritance that God had given to the people. And this man named Sheba says, we got, we got nothing in David. We're not going to find anything for us in David. Can you imagine if you're David standing there and the people say, we have, we have nothing from this guy. There's nothing here for us. Imagine, imagine how many times in the life of Jesus people walked away from him? Imagine how many times God in heaven hears somebody say, I'm not going to follow anymore because there's nothing for me here. Well, that happens all the time. And so the son of Jesse uh, that Sheba called David was a pejorative way. It was a disparaging way to refer to David. It's how Saul referred to David when he was mad at David. Oh, that son of Jesse. And this is what David had to deal with. 
So I want to encourage you as a Christian that no matter how the winds blow in the culture and even the church culture. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. David's getting ready to to go back home, to go to his throne, to go back to the place that he loved. He probably was wondering if I'm ever going to be back there. And just when you think trouble is over, trouble comes again. Ever been there before? You go on vacation. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And you have all these issues on vacation, and then you say, I can't wait till I get back home. I need a vacation from my vacation. Vacations always sound good until you're on vacation. Then you're like, I want to go home. Well, this man, Sheba, said, we have no inheritance. Strong idea there. Because the people of God were God's inheritance, and the land was an inheritance that God had given to the people. And this man named Sheba says, we got, we got nothing in David. We're not going to find anything for us in David. Can you imagine if you're David standing there, and the people say, we have, we have nothing from this guy. There's nothing here for us. Imagine, imagine how many times in the life of Jesus people walked away from him. Imagine how many times God in heaven hears somebody say, I'm not going to follow anymore because there's nothing for me here. Well, that happens all the time. And so the son of Jesse uh, that Sheba called David was a pejorative way. It was a disparaging way to refer to David. It's how Saul referred to David when he was mad at David. Oh, that son of Jesse. And this is what David had to deal with. So I want to encourage you as a Christian that no matter how the winds blow in the culture and even the church culture, stay true to your king. He will never leave you or forsake you. People will, he won't. He's the one that can bring stability to your life. Now David, verse 3, 2 Samuel 20, came to his house at Jerusalem and he was probably wondering if he would ever return to that great city. And the king took the ten women the concubines, verse 3, whom he had left to keep the house. And he placed them under guard and provided them with sustenance. But he did not go into them. I I do want to tell you that if you have smaller ones here, there is some mature content here just as a heads up. He was not with them. He was not intimate with them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as widows. Now, even though David was, Absalom's rebellion was squashed and Absalom was now dead and David had gone home, David had to deal with the fallout back home. 
And one of the pieces, one of the things he had to deal with was the fact that Absalom, in order to show his strength and to make a uh, move towards the throne, took David's concubines. And there's no other way to say it, he raped them. And whatever the position may be, whatever your thoughts are on David's concubines, and I'm going to argue that David's harem was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says, the king shall not multiply wives to himself. That's what David did. He was outside of God's will. But these women, nonetheless, were in David's household. And when he left, when Absalom was coming to take over and he was trying to kill his father and take the throne, David had left the concubines there. And Absalom ravaged them. And if you imagine for a moment being one of those women, just think how they felt. David had left them behind to take care of things and Absalom took advantage of them. He violated them and now David had to go back and face them. And by the way, the reason that that happened was given in a prophecy earlier in chapter 12 that what David had done secretly with Bathsheba would be done openly by his own sons. Imagine walking back into your house and having to look in the eyes of those ladies and realizing that that's a consequence of your actions. So David did what he could. Notice in verse three, he placed them under guard. I think that means he tried to protect them. He provided for them. And they needed a lot of care. They needed maybe just a shoulder to cry on. And David was the man that they looked to. So he probably had to spend a lot of time just trying to hear them out and try to do, do some repair. And I will tell you this, that anybody, and I'm sure this room has people in it, who's ever been through abuse, whether it's this type of abuse or even physical abuse, it's gonna take some time to recover. And David, if you could see David in this moment as a type of Jesus Christ can be there for you even if you've been abused, even if you've been wronged by another individual. And the statistics are pretty scary on how often this happens and how little it's actually talked about. But David went home and he put the ladies under guard. He knew that they needed to feel safe and he provided what they need. He provided them with sustenance but he was not with them again. And there are some scholars that believe the reason that David wasn't with them again is found in Leviticus 18, five through 15, that there was some sort of defilement that went on and David did not want to break the Levitical law. That's certainly a possibility. His son had been with these women, so that's a possibility. But here's another thought, and this came from another commentary I read this week, that maybe David, upon coming home, decided that he was no longer gonna have concubines in his life. Maybe he was thinking twice about the whole idea of a king having a harem and him having multiple women in his life. Maybe he started to think about the fact that God said from the beginning, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife singular, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Maybe David after all he had dealt with, and sometimes, look, here's the truth of life. We gotta learn most of our lessons the hard way, right? It would be nice if some of us could say, you know what, I, that last lesson I learned was so easy. I learned the easy way this time. 
I had a friend tell me he made this mistake and I said, I'm never gonna make that mistake, right? But the truth is that we have to learn most of our probably most substantive, deepest lessons in our lives are learned the hard way. And here's the sad reality. These women, verse three, they were shut up until the day of their death, living as widows. They, the text would indicate, spent the rest of their lives with no man in their lives. They had to live out their days as widows. And that was because of David. That was because David had sinned with Bathsheba, but that was also because David did things outside of God's will. And even though David was forgiven, please hear what I'm about to say very well. Even though you can be forgiven by God, it doesn't mean the aftershock of consequences stops. And even in the light of forgiven sin, and I'll take it a step further, even when you try to make things right after you've sinned, it doesn't mean that everything's just going to be great. Maybe you formulated a plan that, you know, you hear about, okay, bringing sin into the light or you want to ask for forgiveness. Some years ago, I had a friend tell me that he was confronted with such issues and so he decided that he would go to his spouse and ask for forgiveness for some past, I'll put it, indiscretions. And he had in his mind how it was going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to confess and my spouse is going to be so wonderfully thrilled that I confess this stuff and hold me and say, it's okay, you're forgiven. Oh, it's so brave of you. And that's what he thought until he confessed it. And it didn't go the way he had it in his mind. It was hard for months after that. Because we think, uh, see, sometimes the motivation for us to do something like that is about us. It's not about the other person. I'm gonna, I gotta get this off my chest so that we, I, can, I can be done with this. And so I need you to hear me, <laughs> right? Sometimes even in our apologies, we, we don't have the right motive. And so David had to deal with the reality. And as one author put it, David was not the kind of king who could wipe away their tears. But Jesus is that kind of king. And so even when it looks like, you know, I could go to counselors for the next 10 years and they can't wipe away my tears, but there is a king who can wipe away every tear from your eyes, amen? He's the stable king. And one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The wrongs that we have done to others and the wrongs done to us were nailed to the cross. That's the kind of king we serve. And the king said to Amasa, verse four, Call out the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. Now, there was something else that David had to deal with. He had to deal with Sheba, who was leading this rebellion. So he had to comfort the ladies. You know, he got home from what he had to deal with. And it wasn't just, I'm going to sit on the throne. I think I'll watch a Dodger game or something. No. He had to go immediately to work. And he called Amasa. And Amasa went out to call the men of Judah. He was the man who had replaced Joab as being the commander of the army, even though Amasa was the commander for the rebellion, but David had forgiven him. But he delayed, verse five, longer than the set time which he had appointed him. All of a sudden, Amasa wasn't coming back with the troops. 
It was just a little too much time for Amasa to amass the troops. And so David started getting a little bit worried. This guy had been part of a rebellion before, so maybe David was thinking, did this guy just, is he collecting an army for himself again? What's going on? So David said to Abishai, that's Joab's brother, David's nephew, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape from our sight. David said, we need to deal with this guy and we need to deal with him now. Titus 1.11 talks about false teachers that must be silenced because they are upsetting or ruining. They are shaking up whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Titus 1.11. Some people need to be stopped. Some false teachers absolutely need to be silenced because of the damage that they're doing to other people. On Living Truth Radio, or it's now called Walk in Truth this morning, you may have heard it, I was dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses. And sometimes when you deal with a cultic movement, people get mad at you. But I'm willing to risk someone mad at me if they can meet the true Christ. If they can find true hope and not a false hope. And David knew that he had to deal with Sheba because Sheba was trying to draw people away from the kingdom and away from their true king. And he was dangerous. Jesus talked about people who would try to stumble believers, even new believers. He said it would be better for those people if a heavy millstone be wrapped around their neck and they'd be cast into the depth of the sea. Why would Jesus say that if all roads lead to God? Why would Jesus say that if you can just pick whatever quote-unquote Jesus you want? It really doesn't matter. No, these things are crucial. Jesus said if, if one of these little ones that believes me is, is stumbled, here's what should happen to the stumbler. And David says, we got to deal with this guy. So Joab's men went out after him along with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, and they went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now I want you to notice, some of the men are called Joab's men. He had led a third, uh, he had commanded a third of the men against Absalom's rebellion. And Joab is still part of the army, but he's been demoted. Why had Absalom been demoted? Or why had Joab been demoted? Because he had killed Absalom. And remember, David was upset, and David said, I want Absalom spared, and Joab killed him, and David was mad, and Joab gave David the business for being mad. He said, you care more about your son who was trying to kill you than you do care about those of us who are trying to protect you. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. 
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.